ghoulish greetings, my vamps and specters. Thank you so very much for stopping by, making Paranormal Prowlers part of your day. Those tunes, as always, well, those are courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey. And I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. So last week, I really got caught up with the Cecil episode. I had the pleasure of having 20 people on as voiceovers and all involved with this. Did an absolute amazing job. And we all had fun doing it. Well, this week kind of got ahead of me. Usually I'm more on top of things. I I try to plan things accordingly and way ahead of time. And so like for Cecil, I gave people about a week to get back to me with recordings. Well, we had a really rough week and we had an animal emergency at my mom's ranch and it took up a lot of our time and yeah so I'll just go into that if I say more I'll cry so anyways I I do want to dedicate this and I know some of you may laugh at me but I do want to dedicate this episode to sweet Daisy May the sweetest goat out there so basically I didn't even have an idea for an episode as my jar of ideas was at my dad's house. So at the time was at my mom's, which is two and a half hours away. So I asked my boyfriend, hey, help me think of an idea for this episode for this coming week. And he recommended... The Curse of the Pharaohs. So basically, I started asking people literally last night saying, hey, I'm recording tomorrow morning. I know this is horrible timing, but if you're available, I'd love to have you on. And so I have a small handful of people who were able to do it like really last minute, literally. So I really do appreciate each and every single one of you. And I'll be doing shout outs at the end of the episode. I dug deep, real deep into this one as I try with all my episodes and I love doing episodes like this because yeah I know certain things about the subjects that I do but I get my research boots on and I learn so much and I hope you guys get to learn some things too a lot of this stuff is really interesting so if you do any research online about this phenomenal and mysterious topic, you'll probably find articles mentioning that there's anywhere from 9 to 12 victims when it comes to this curse. Well, I dug a lot deeper and what I found was mind-blowing. The number of victims are a lot higher than advertised. Buckle up, you guys. We are traveling to Egypt where things are about to get spooky and intense. Howard Carter, an Egyptologist and an archaeologist, had spent five years in a row searching one of the most desolate areas on planet Earth, the Valley of the Kings, a place where pharaohs made secret tombs triggered with booby traps, pitfalls, and other types of traps into the sides of the mountains, preventing grave robbers, treasure hunters, and yes, even archaeologists as well, as these kings demand not to be disturbed, 
even having curses and warnings on not to enter. Access denied. It's really interesting stuff that I'm going to get into in just a short while. Now, nothing grows here. You can't get more desert than the Valley of the Kings. Along the desert cliffs are tunnels, and I mean, some of these tunnels go back several hundred feet. Today, there's about 17 tombs that are available for the public to check out, including King Tut's, which, by the way, is the smallest of the tombs. The largest? Ramses III. Now, in 1881, one tomb was found and unsealed, and they found about 40 mummies in this one tomb alone. And that tomb was Ramses II. Mind you, Ramses III was the biggest, so just goes to imagine, you know, what was in there? How many, if any, you know, besides Ramses? So, really awesome. So before we get into the curses and excavation and what have you, I want to talk really quick about King Tutankhamun. Basically, his whole life, his whole short life, mind you, he suffered from one sickness after another. He had malaria several times and so many other things just stacking up and piling up against him. He really didn't have a chance. He's only a child when he takes the throne, really just like nine years old. His reign over Egypt is extremely short. He dies suddenly at the age of 19 years young. He marries his half-sister, which I know, you, but it was kind of a common thing back then. His half-sister slash wife, Anksunamen, gets pregnant and she suffers a miscarriage. She becomes pregnant again, only to lose the baby shortly after birth. Tut, he dies at 19, leaving behind his 15-year-old widow slash half-sister. In order to carry and continue the royal bloodline, she needs to remarry, but comes to the decision that she cannot find a suitable man in Egypt. Desperate, she writes a letter to a man named Shupilwana, king of Hittite empire. My husband is dead and I do not have a son. I am told that you have many grown sons. Send me one of your sons and I shall take him as my husband because I do not want to marry any of my subjects. So upon receiving this bizarre letter, the king of Hittite is beside himself. Is this a joke? Like, what a weird request. Can my son really become the king of Egypt? So he looks into the matter, and after investigating, okay, yes, this man did die, and okay, she's in trouble, she needs help. He sees that she's being truthful. He sends one of his sons to, you know, basically become the king of Egypt, and take this lady's hand in marriage. And while traveling to Egypt to his new bride, he is suddenly ambushed and brutally murdered. I mean, gut-wrenching, to say the least. And many believe they know who the mastermind of the murder is, a man named Ai, who cowardly forced the young teenage mourning widow to marry him. 
crappy ending for both the king and the queen. Now, fast forward over 3,000 years. Howard Carter, as mentioned earlier, he spent five years searching throughout the Valley of the Kings. And at the end of each season, he came back empty-handed. George Herbert, Lord Chiron, one of his friends and the major financier for this half a decade's expedition, saw that nothing was coming of this long search. So George tells Howard straight up, Hey, I've had enough. I'm done paying for what, in my eyes, is becoming quite the meaningless, hefty price tag of an expedition. Carter's desperate. He didn't spend just five years of his life doing this just to be cut short. So he knows that Tut is out there somewhere. And he pleads, he pleads George Herbert for just one more season. Pretty please with a cherry on top. Or whatever the famous dessert out there is. He promises that if I don't come back with something, if I come back empty handed this time, I will give up finding the tomb for good basically his dream. He's granted one final season, and the Lord was nice enough to not only give him one more season, but also gifted Howard with a beautiful, gorgeous golden canary, and this was to be a good luck gift. One last shot, one last chance. Well, on a mission more now than ever, this is his last chance. Howard Carter travels far and wide. Now, There's one certain area he and his team venture to, and it's a location that has long since been disregarded. They notice tiny little huts in the area, and they are able to move them with no huge issue, when suddenly, they unearth a step. A step that had been hidden away by the hot, scorching Egyptian sand. Suddenly... They reveal another step, then another, then another. You get my drift. Soon, there's a whole stairwell, which leads to a door. And on the other side of that door is a burial chamber. And not just any burial chamber, King Tutankhamun. He's been searching for this for six years now. They leave the door sealed. He immediately goes to relay the message to his friend and the man that made this expedition possible, George Herbert. And I find that very appropriate. It's like, don't open that. Wait for the guy who made this happen, right? So as he's en route to share the exciting news of this discovery, he is notified by his assistant, Arthur Callender, in whom the calendar's named after, Totally just kidding. But Arthur tells Howard that a cobra entered his home and has eaten his golden canary. (gasps) Do you believe in bad omens? Like right off the bat, upon hearing this news, many felt that this was a bad omen. You disturb a tomb that for well over 3,000 years has gone untouched, undisturbed. And on that very same day, your good luck is eaten by a cobra? Many from the get-go believed, hey, this is a freaking curse. But Carter thought nothing of it. Yeah, it sucks his bird died, but shit happens. 
A report from the inspector general in charge of antiquities wrote this regarding the incident. During the recent excavation which led to the discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun, Mr. Howard Carter, the discoverer, had in his house a canary which daily regaled him with its happy song. On the day, however, on which the entrance of the tomb laid bare, a cobra entered the house, pounced on the bird, and swallowed it. Now, cobras are rare in Egypt, and are seldom seen in winter, but in ancient times they were regarded as the symbol of royalty, and each pharaoh wore the symbol upon his forehead, as though to signify his power to strike and sting his enemies. I really think that Howard Carter, he's so extremely beside himself about this once-in-a-lifetime rare discovery that he has no time to mourn or even think of some weird curse, right? So he finds George Herbert and off they go together to see exactly what's behind this sealed ancient door. The door that had been sealed for over 3,000 years is about to be opened by, in many people's eyes, intruders. Howard Carter wrote this down regarding the discovery. At last we had the whole door cleared before us. The decisive moment had arrived. With trembling hands I made a tiny breach in the left-hand corner. Darkness and blank space as far as an iron testing rod could reach. Then widening the hole a little, I inserted the candle and peered in. At first I could see nothing, but presently, as my eyes grew accustomed to the light, details of the room emerged slowly from the mist. Strange animals, statues, and gold, everywhere the glint of gold. For a moment, an eternity it must have been to others standing by, I was struck dumb. Then Lord Carnarvon inquired anxiously, Can you see anything? Yes, I replied, wonderful things. It's said that the antechamber was filled from the floor up to the ceiling with treasures galore. This includes jewelry, gold, jars, weapons, a chariot, a solid gold coffin, a face mask, trumpets, gold toe stalls, wine, fresh underwear, thrones, a painted timbered chest that shows a battle, three couches encased with gold, wooden cases holding mummified birds, pottery, two mummified babies believed to be the children he and his wife lost, and an estimated six million British pounds, which today is well over 349 million British pounds, and so much more. And there's a second door in the back, and that's where they believe King Tut is laid to rest over three centuries ago. To get to Tut, they must remove every single thing from this chamber. When counted, the total number of things removed was a whopping 5,393 things. And it takes Carter 10 whole years to catalog every single item. Now in February, they finally open the sealed door and are suddenly face to face with a solid gold sarcophagus of King Tut. They are officially in the presence of royalty. As they enter the doorway, they see an inscription warning for all to stay away. I will kill all of those who cross this threshold into the sacred precincts of the royal king who lives forever. They who enter this sacred tomb shall swift be visited by the wings of death. 
The curse was basically thought that if you go and disrupt this tomb, take something from this tomb, or in some cases know someone who was part of the excavation of this tomb, you will have bad luck. Some illness that not even the most skilled and experienced doctors can cure. Or death. Tut's casket measured out to 16 feet and 5 inches long. They open this lid of the casket to find a second casket, which is overlaid with gold. And they open this one to find yet a third. And amazingly enough, they find a final fourth casket. The lid of the casket weighing a whopping 1,350 pounds, decorated with a protective goddess. But wait, there's more! In the fourth casket were three coffins in the shape of a human body. And not just any human body, but the king of Egypt, King Tutankhamun, better known as King Tut. The first coffin was made from a large log fit perfectly hugging the second coffin, which was also made of wood and covered with gold leaf and multicolored glass paste. The third coffin is solid gold, one-fourth inch thick. The lid represents the amazing King Tut himself with his garments and it's encrusted with precious stones everywhere. Six foot long with turquoise, lapis lazuli, and carnelian. The value for this coffin alone, forget about all the others, but just this one alone, $6 million. Over $6 million. To go into more detail, King Tut, he is covered in about 22 layers of cloth. Inside those bindings is 143 pieces of gorgeous jewelry, including gold and precious stones. The Pharaoh's curse. Curse of the Pharaoh. Curse of King Tut's tomb. Whatever you refer to it as, we're going to go into more detail about that. <laughs> now, the first person the curse claims is George Herbert, Lord Carnivron, also known as the financer of this project. He has a mosquito bite that just refuses to heal. While shaving, he tears it open and it gets severely infected. He wakes up one morning, and while eating his breakfast, he looks over at his wife, and he says, I feel like hell. He had a temperature of 104 degrees, yet he was shaking, and he had major chills, and they were multiplying. A week goes by, and it gets worse, and the bite has now grown into a gross-looking, excruciatingly painful blister-like patch. He's diagnosed at the hospital with blood poisoning, which progressed to pneumonia. Bacteria from the wound on his face spread throughout his entire body. I mean, it was a nightmare. This poor guy just did not have a chance. And as days go by, he just keeps getting worse. He develops a fever. His lungs fill up with fluid. His son says, When I arrived in Cairo, I drove at once to the Hotel Continental. My father was unconscious. Howard Carter was there. And my mother... Lady Almina, I was awakened. During the night, it was ten minutes. Before two, the nurse came and told me father had died. Less than two months after the tomb is unsealed, George Herbert dies in a Cairo hotel. Now, this happened just a few short weeks after the excavation. 
before his untimely death, the press had already dubbed the whole excavation as the mummy's curse. They thought, surely, with no disruptions for 3,000 years, anyone who would be stupid enough to disturb a resting king would sure have something coming their way. November 26, 1922, was the day the excavation occurred. The finding, the discovery, the day the curse was born. And, like George, his wife dies a few years later of an insect bite. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, huge into the paranormal phenomena, a Freemason who joined London-based Society for Psychical Research, and, along with Charles Dickens, a member of the Ghost Club, founded in London in 1862 and widely believed to be the oldest of such organizations in the world. Sir Arthur says that he thinks... The death was caused by elementals created by King Tut's priests to guard the royal tomb. In response to Doyle's bizarre remark, Carter says, that's just plain... Tommy Rat. The sentiment of the Egyptologist is not one of fear, but of respect and awe, entirely opposed to foolish superstitions. The next victim is Sir Bruce Ingham. He was never even at the excavation site, but his friend Howard had given him a little souvenir. A souvenir that would turn Bruce's life upside down. A paperweight of a mummified hand. On the hand was a bracelet that was inscribed with an ominous message. Cursed be he who moves my body. Cursed be he who moves my body. Geez, thanks, Howard. What a sweet gift. Not. Well, soon after he accepts this more than bizarre and eerie gift, again, thanks, his house burns down to the ground. As he's rebuilding his home, a flood comes through. Talk about bad luck. Jeez. Again, thanks. Not wanting to find out what will happen next, he rids himself of the gift of burden. And after he does this, nothing else weird happens to him. It looks like even though his home wasn't so lucky, Bruce's life is spared. Next up is George J. Gold a railroad executive leading the Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad, the Western Pacific Railroad, and the Manhattan Railway. Pretty impressive stuff. Now, this is kind of neat because I have many, many listeners from the following cities. Okay, so get this. The Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad had routes going from Denver to Trinidad with two branches. One from Cuchara, where I happen to have a nice spot of land, which goes through Alamosa, Monta Vista, where I have family, Del Norte, where my mom lives, South Fork, where one of my best friends lives, and Creed, a mining town where I conducted my first paranormal investigation. All very sweet little mountain towns. And I pass by that railroad track all the time. So it's kind of neat to know that, wow, this guy has something to do with this curse. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it sucks for him, obviously. But so the other branch heads from Pueblo, where I have a ton of family living, to Salt Lake City and through Nevada and to Oakland. So I don't know. Pretty damn cool. 
Well, upon hearing about his good friend George Herbert's death, he makes his way to the Valley of the Kings, where good old Carter shows him the tomb. The next morning, Gold gets an extremely high fever. He heads to the French Riviera, where the fever worsens. He dies, and results show it was possibly from the bubonic plague, an illness that no doctor could cure. And at the time of his death, May of 1923, his estate was valued over $15 million. That's back in 1923, you guys. That's a shitload of money. $15 million in 1923? Well, today that's $239 million. However, after his debts are paid off, it was worth $5,175,590. Still not too bad. Today that's over $82 million. So there you go. Next up is the first victim, George Herbert's half-brother, Aubrey Herbert, known as the Colonel the Honorable, a man of many talents. He was a diplomat, a British soldier, an intelligence officer, and temporarily, he was prisoner of war. He was very much respected and well-loved, so much so that he was offered the throne of Albania, not once, but twice. Seems like just the blood connection is enough to target Aubrey, who's never been to the excavation site. Not that I could see anyways. He dies five months after his half-brother. The poor man, he suffered most of his life from poor eyesight. One man who called himself a doctor gave Aubrey the worst medical advice anybody could ever get, probably. Your teeth are so bad that this is why you are having eye issues. I suggest that we take every single tooth out of your mouth. So, to me that doesn't even make sense. Like, you're having eye issues, so your teeth have to come out. Like, what? Really? And you're a doctor? That's like saying, my feet really hurt. Maybe I should amputate my arm. Like, okay, dude, where did you go to school? Toys R Us? So, unfortunately, Aubrey, he goes through with the surgery. All his life, he's had poor eyesight. It's been his dream to see the world better. And so, he gets the painful procedure done. But soon, he contracts blood poisoning And he dies. And what's weird is both brothers die from the same thing. Forget the curse. Throw that away real quick. But blood poisoning. What are the odds? One from a mosquito bite and one from oral surgery. To me, that's eerie. So upon visiting the tomb, George says, Something dreadful is going to happen to our family. Boy, was he not kidding. Next is Hugh Evelyn White a British archaeologist who visits the tomb. In fact, he's one of the first to enter the tomb. Hugh served in the British Army during World War I as an officer. He worked on several excavations in Egypt once he finds out there may be a curse and how many people have already died who are connected to King Tut's tomb. He takes the middleman, that being the curse, out and he commits suicide by hanging himself. He leaves behind a suicide note written with what we believe to be his own blood. 
I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to disappear. Next up is Aaron Ember, one of the top leading Egyptologists in the United States. Being on the greedy side, Aaron decides to take some of the rare prized artifacts home. Yes, he knew about the deaths, but greed is greed, my friends. He has a huge, gorgeous, lavish party to show off his new treasures, where a fire breaks out. Jewish Daily Bulletin reports on June 3, 1926, of the incident. Dr. Aaron Ember, a member of the faculty of the John Hopkins University, died at the West Baltimore General Hospital on Tuesday of burns received when his home in the Winslow Hills was destroyed by fire early Monday morning. In the morning, the wife and son of Dr. Ember and the maid employed in the Ember home lost their lives. Physicians at the hospital declared that Dr. Ember had not been notified that his wife and child died. So, from what I saw, they considered Aaron Ember a victim, of course, of the curse, but not really so much the wife, child, and maid. And I'm including them in my list of cursed victims. Now, one thing that's crazy to me when it comes to the Ember family incident, the fire has engulfed their house, right? In flames, deadly, hot, scorching, you better get your ass out of that house flames. Well, Mrs. Ember goes to get their son, which, duh, I mean, anybody would do that, right? I get that. But she tells Ember to get his manuscript that he had been working so very hard on. The name of the manuscript Get this shit. No one can make this up. The Egyptian Book of the Dead. Richard Bethel, he's up next. He is Lord Caravan's secretary, George Herbert's secretary, and was upon the first to enter the tomb. He's found smothered at a London gentleman's club. Apparently, he had experienced a series of mysterious outbreaks of fires in his home as well. When the fires didn't kill him, this did, smothered death. By the way, after his death, many of Tut's artifacts were found in his home. Richard Bethel actually dies the same year as his boss's wife, Mrs. Herbert. He is not the only Bethel to die due to the curse, but he is not on the official list, so he will be mentioned later. Next on the list is Sir Archibald Douglas Reed. He's a radiologist who never went to the king's tomb, but he did x-ray the mummified remains of Tut before releasing it to a museum. The next day, he gets severely sick, and three days later, he's dead. What he died from, no one knows. It was a mysterious illness in which no doctor could cure him, just like the curse claims. Next is James Henry Breasted well-known Egyptologist who worked alongside Howard Carter during this entire excavation. He dies in 1935, right after he returns home from a trip to, you guessed it, Egypt. And last is Howard Carter himself. He died at age 64 from lymphoma. He died several, several, several years after the excavation. His tombstone reads, May your spirit live. May you spend millions of years, you who loved Thebes, sitting with your face to the north wind, your eyes beholding happiness. Many believe he deserved to be part of this curse. 
He was the one who, in fact, did discover the tomb of King Tut. He was more involved than anybody. Why was he spared? How did he escape this? Please check back next Monday for part two, where you will hear about victims besides the official ones, as there are plenty more, and it's going to get more weird and more bizarre from here. I need to now give a shout out to the amazing voiceovers who were so patient with me, considering it was the last minute. Casey Morrow, Thomas James, Jerry Morrow, Adrian Romero, Justin Dean, and David Lippy. You guys are awesome rock stars. Thank you so much. And again, guys, anybody listening who wants to be involved in a future episode with voiceovers, let me know. I would love to have you on paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. Or you can message me on Facebook, Tessa Morrow. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? How dare you? Where have you been the last two years? <laughs> oh, brother. So, no need to cry, you guys. You can binge listen right now by hitting up any of those kick-ass podcast platforms such as Player FM, Deezer, Overcast, CastBox, Apple Podcast, Podcast Republic, Pocket Cast, wherever you may roam to listen to your other spine-tingling podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Chesterfield, England, Calhoun City, Mississippi, Jasper, Alabama, Coffeeville. Kansas. Mm-mm-mm. Drinking some coffee right now. And Anderson, California. Each of you is so appreciated. Thank you so much. If you have an idea for an episode, please let me know. I love suggestions. Remember, this one was a suggestion. This topic for this episode and next week's episode. So I love it. Makes me put my thinking cap on. So throw me a message for sure. And we will see you. See you next week, my friends, my pharaohs. <laughs>